is the Aquasensory Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilson. In this show, you will learn all about sensory harmony in water for babies and the early years. Because when we grow to love, connect and respect water, learning follows naturally. Amazing. I'm so excited today because I think when you have been really following people and connecting and learning together, it's always nice to learn from someone who has so much expertise. Uh, Toriel Hindmarsh is with me today and we're talking about baby swimming. We're talking about uh, the gentle approach and um, hopefully giving our listeners um, our wealth of knowledge between us. Welcome so much. Thanks Toriel. Thank you. Yes for asking me. That's nice. (laughs) It is isn't it? And um, do you want to let our listeners know because you have so many connections and obviously where you're based because you're not uk but also your amazing background in uh drowning prevention as well um well i'll try and keep it brief but um <laughs> i uh, as as a competitive swimmer then i it was natural to go towards the end of your competitive career uh, you do a teacher's course in swimming or teacher's course in lifesaving with your club, which is what I did. And um, as a result of this, I was teaching uh, school swimming in, in Bristol. Um, and the owner of the pool was very proud because he had a mother and baby group once a week. And because um, there was no one else to take it, he said, all right, Tori, you can take it. So I was 19 and was doing looking watching really observing babies and their mothers in the water and basically making sure no one drowned and um there wasn't much i could say or do i didn't have an idea i'd never had a baby and then what is this <laughs> but it was very very educational for me just the observation and noticing some babies had a good relationship with their mothers and others did not so uh I took that experience with me um, mm-hmm. when I came to Norway a few years later, three or four years later. And um, there was in Norway, 1980, 81, there was an, the first teacher's course for baby swimming wow. in Norway up at the sports high school. Um, the leader of that, he was um, connected to the Life Saving Society. He was the sports high school professor and he'd been down to Germany to view what was going on down there. So I got onto that uh, weekend course and we had all these exercises. Uh, I just had my first child as well, my little yeah. daughter. Um, How many years ago was that? 1981. Yeah. Yeah. So they said, oh, well, you have to do this before they're six months mm. um, because of this reflex which I'd like to talk to you about later on and uh, there was no warm water where I lived um, until I moved and came to a place where there was a a baby pool uh, not particularly warm she was about eight months by then and I noticed when we were playing in this little baby pool where she could sit or she could even crawl and sometimes as she got up to about 10, 11 months, she could even walk there, though she couldn't walk on dry land and she would be falling over. And I was, hmm, 
what's this about this reflex that's supposed to disappear at six months? Hmm, she's holding, she's going underwater holding her breath. So uh, that was the first little signal that I had. Mm. Um, and out of this and from the groups that I started when we moved back to Oslo, um, then I, I realized that there was a lot going on which we didn't know. Um, there was children who were very distressed in the water. Um, and there were children who were coming to my classes um, at the age of one or one and a half, um, but there hadn't been a place for them at the pool. So they'd been at home in the bathtub just playing with their siblings. Yeah. And they were they were doing just as well as some of the other children after about four weeks. Yeah. And what struck me was that the children, that the babies that continued and were part of the life-saving club, they weren't the babies who started when they were very small. Most of those had stopped and given up with doing other things. But it was the children who started when they were two or three years old. And they were old enough to re give a, a strong reaction when there was something they didn't want to do. Yeah. And um, they, they didn't have to do it. Whereas the babies, if, if they didn't want to do it, it didn't matter. The parents tried again and again. Yeah. So that was uh, the basis, really, of that made me stop and think, what are we doing? Yeah. And... Uh, and would we do this, would we treat um, a five-year-old coming to the pool for the first time in this same way with all these techniques that you could do with the babies mm. or do to the babies? Yeah. So uh, we, we wouldn't. The, the parents would be very cross with us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, I I, I've, I I see that as well. But, you know, um, children, when they're introduced and, you know, it's their own choice when it comes to water work, as you say, as opposed to sort of being forced. And I think that's the last thing that we want, isn't it, as as um, teachers that, you know, the children that we're teaching, actually, it's the opposite. You know, they go off swimming. We, we want the, yes, yeah, the connection. Yes, problem, yes. Yeah, you know, mm. so possibly too much too soon not reading as you say the signals and and trying again um and it, we have to be really considerate don't we and i know you're a big big advocate of the gentle approach um what would be um some of your top tips really let's take our listeners through a little bit of a of a of a sort of journey really when it does come to and you mentioned obviously the reflex because i think there are a few misconceptions so it'd be really nice to bust some myths together yeah well if i could just firstly just um say a little bit about uh this what they call the dive reflex mm. um and then go on to uh what what really would be a, a a good way for parents to get started yeah um in the beginning of the 1980s 1979 1980s so there was a group of doctors in sweden and norway um they did uh tests on about 30 or 40 small babies and uh, what they discovered was that this, this mammalian dive reflex was activated um, when the babies were submerged. Uh, this reflex usually is not activated until we are in cold water. We have it, mm. all of us, in cold water, which is why some children will survive uh, drowning, um, pulled out of ice-covered rivers in this country, 
um, after being underwater half an hour. Wow. Now, this dive reflex is it's not just the breath holding. That's just a little part of it. But the, it is the heart and the lungs and the brain. They are served with oxygen while the rest of the body is not. In this reflex, it cuts off the flow to the extremities. So that the argumentation was that, okay, um, if we're going to teach our babies to hold their breath, then we can take them underwater and they won't die because their brain will still be getting blood flow mm -hmm. for a certain amount of seconds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's quite safe to take your baby underwater. And if you do it often enough, he will be conditioned to hold his breath. Uh, but of course, what they couldn't measure or what they didn't think of measuring were the other things that happen when a survival reflex starts. But they, in France, they did. In France, they found out that when even when the baby was handed to a stranger, then they were being um, stimulated the production of cortisol and um, what's the other one? adrenaline and adrenaline, all, all of yeah. the because that's obviously yeah. the stress hormones isn't it the, the things that we hormones, don't want um yeah, our babies to feel your child in a default mode of mm. fight or flight when the next time he comes into water yeah the default mode we want when our babies come into water is one of pleasure yeah so we don't want to put them in a situation where we're going to activate a survival reflex yeah. which um uh, prepares it for something terrible so, uh, and the thing is that that sits in the body. For some children, it's very strong. Mm. And we could see this on the results of this um, trial with the baby. Some babies had a very strong uh, reflex reaction so that their heartbeat slowed down incredibly and over quite a long period, while others, it was very quick. And some actually didn't have much of a reaction at all. Yeah, so, yeah. So if there's less reaction to it, then there's probably less cortisol and uh, these other hormones going into the system. Yeah. So some babies uh, maybe accept it two or three times and it, they're fine. So 50% maybe they're fine. But it's the other 50% that have a traumatic experience. Mm. Um, when you're working in a small community where the children are coming back to you or they're coming from the city out to your classes. Uh, everyone moves out from the city to the countryside after a while. And they still haven't learned to swim when they're five years old. Yeah. And they're having a reaction when the water hits them in the face, they're having a specific reaction in their body and they which is not unlike the moral reflex we see in babies with the arms going out. Yeah, startle. So, yeah. So when we're playing with things like that, we have to be very careful. Mm. And uh, so, okay, what else can we do? Well, actually, we don't have to do very much apart from be in the water and be relaxed with your baby. And if you're not relaxed, then it's it's you as the parent who has to work with yourself because whatever signals you're going to give to your baby, uh, the baby's going to pick up on it. Mm. So... Uh, I think parents really do need a lot of time to adapt to the water themselves. We must meet that in your groups. 
investment, Joe, when you have swimming? Yeah, it is very much a, a partnership approach where we're, as you say, connecting the parent to the water, relaxing them. And it even goes down even to the handling as well. So, you know, how, because babies yeah. really picking up on all these nonverbal signals, aren't they? Am I safe? Do I feel safe in the water? Am I up? Am I down? Where's the ground and do i feel safe actually you holding me you know are you holding me too tight or actually too loose so they almost like social reference from us so i see babies often checking in to their parents and if it's nice and relaxed and it's okay you're safe i'm here they're like oh okay and you can almost visibly see oh baby has that almost like let go response which is really beautiful mm. yeah well, the 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 funny thing is, though, because when parents are on land, they're always holding their baby quite tightly because if they loosen, they, they're afraid mm. of dropping the baby. Yeah. And then we're in the, in the water, even though they are quite relaxed, you'll still see the hands holding very tightly around the baby. And you said, oh, we're holding too loosely. I don't think in water you can't hold too loosely because the water supports the baby. They, the only thing we have to support is the head. That's yeah. The head bit. That's the bit that's not buoyant. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and help them with their balance. We don't want their head to waver too much because then they will feel off balance. That's where the centre is in the ears. So, um, But then, as you say, if you're holding, you're gripping, then that's giving a signal to the baby that, oh, I should be frightened, even though the parent may not be frightened. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a complex thing. It is. And I think that's yeah. the thing is that we don't, really know what is going on in the inside of our babies obviously really really observing their their small cues and i often see when babies are taken underwater they are actually startled coming up but then there's almost like this forced celebration of the teacher clapping and the parent going yay and i'm like ah actually baby at that moment in time is saying i'm not that comfortable <laughs> yes uh, that's it. That is a yeah. So that is why I have stopped um, taking babies underwater mm. since 1990. I stopped taking babies underwater after I was in France and visited. Uh, there was a conference in France, the first baby swimming conference, international baby swimming conference, and looking at the methods that the French used, and then comparing. Uh, um, some of the children who by the time of four, they, they were swimming. And I looked at the children in Norway who were four, who'd been doing baby swimming since 86. And um, there was no difference. They, they were swimming as badly or as well as the children in France who had been allowed to explore at their own tempo, at their own yeah. pace. Yeah. So... I think it's very important that you make you can create lots of situations where the baby will do the dive themselves. And I say dive, they will take their face underwater. Yeah. Um, because it's part of that game. Um I I I've been teaching for many years and I know that one thing even with the older children, and I started doing it with the older children, like holding toys underwater just a little bit and getting them to gradually get their face lower and lower in the water. Well, you can do that with a six-month-old baby too. 
Yeah. You can have the baby sitting on the step. I did this just a year ago, a child who I just first met. He was a friend of the my grandson's family. Yeah. And first time in the water. And the mother was very nervous to start with, but then yeah, they were sitting on the side of the on the little steps at the baby pool. And she was chatting away, so she was really relaxed chatting with her friend. And uh, I just made contact with the baby and uh, made uh, movements with, with my mouth and blowing bubbles and making a sort of sound. And he was interested and then holding a toy and taking it under. Now, in the space of five minutes, wow, five minutes, he was taking, reaching down and picking up the toy and blowing bubbles. And he had the water at the level between his upper lip and his nose. Mm, nice. And then he would take it up and be examining it. And then he would hold it out to me underwater. And I would have to do the same thing. Mm. So we were playing a little game, which was slowly developed. And I was quite amazed just after five minutes with that child who was so nervous and reserved. And I thought, it's so easy. Yeah. Just give them time. Yeah. So, and it's different for each individual. I was, you can say I was maybe lucky with that child, but it was just, I was just there to advise and to calm down the mother, really. Mm. But, um, oh, what a beautiful story. That's really, really nice and heartwarming. Because what about the other side? Let's pay a little bit of sort of devil's advocate and you are stand up for drowning prevention. You know, shouldn't we take more control of our children shouldn't there be a little bit more sort of like survival instinct and force you know because actually at the end of the day it's drowning prevention you know why do so many babies go through programs that are very adult led and you know there is this ready steady one two three and you will go underwater for the greater good of learning drowning prevention you know what's your what's your thoughts well, yes, I mean, that was in 1988 when I did my first presentation at this international conference in Strasbourg. That's what I linked it up to. I said, this is this is uh, the way to do it. And we put water on the head and we look them in the eyes and we take them under. And, um, but after that conference, and as I, from the films that I'd made and the children that had been part of that film and where they were a year later, I realised, no, that's not drowning prevention at all. And actually, for a small baby, that only gets close to water when it's in the bath. Uh, a, a baby who's crawling, um, yes, it has to crawl somewhere. There has to be no adults to stop it crawling. Um, a three-year-old or a four-year-old climbing over fences to get into a pool or into the river. Um, we have to be there as parents to prevent that. We are the first link, first level of a layer of protection. Mm -hmm. And it's what we can tell um, our children. Um, and I know I've seen videos at a swim school in Australia where there is a line from the changing room to the pool and they are not allowed to cross that line and they the two-year-olds know this very well and they stay behind the line mm. um, until it's their turn to come in. Yeah. When I worked in forest school, um, in, for nursery school, we were out in a setting uh, in the forest and 
children knew very well where the line was, where they could go and not go, even the youngest ones. And I was amazed every time I came to visit a different forest school, someone would take me by the hand and say, you can't go past this point here. And it took me around the whole area where yeah. I was not allowed to go and had to keep inside that barrier. So um, children are very good at that. Yeah. They yeah. get the bikes. Uh, water education isn't it and as you say you know yeah. having our little ones at arm reach and having the protective measures as you say gates and um you know not well supervising them if they're Supervise. anywhere near yeah. water in 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 the world generally not to fives is the highest rate of drowning but it's mostly in countries where there is no supervision no access to um nursery school or a creche or um, or there's older children looking after them. It's in areas where there's, if they do need to get anywhere, there is that there's no barriers, and the that's what the WHO recommends for children that age. In the Western world, the people who are drowning, they are over fifty, mm. over sixty. Yeah, that's the highest rate of drowning, and that there is a small spike with teenagers, teenage boys. Mm. There's teenage boys and teenage men. Um, older men that yeah. are in the drowning risk. So we want to teach water safety, um, uh, water awareness, when we can go in the water and when we cannot go in the water, when it's safest to keep away. Yeah. Um, we start that in nursery school, um, in, in the ones that the nursery schools in Norway that concentrate on outdoor activities. This is especially in winter when water's very cold. We don't want to get cold. No, we keep away from the water. Where the ice is, we keep away because it might break and we'll go into the cold water. Yeah. Yeah. In our swim school, um, we use a floating raft for feet jumps. And when we are sitting on the wall, uh, we always sit down with our bottoms and then we have dive hats. So they're still learning standing jumps, but it's always done as a sort of an individual controlled or if we are at the wall, it's very much a, an exercise. And that has been amazing, the parents' response. And we've had so many parents when they've gone on holiday, their little ones will walk to the side of the pool and know and wait and sit down and they don't enter and time and time again parents have said you know how how good that is that we're every single week instilling those as yeah, you so say safe is, measures and borders and boundaries that that is that is the most important thing and mm. uh, not just um jumping but even turning around and lowering themselves into the yeah. water safe entry yeah. that is the first um point on that uh, table of competencies that is internationally is renowned for, for being a, um, the start of water competence. So, and in fact, the, the little dives that uh, have been popular to do, they weren't, uh, the goal of that was not to do a dive, but it was so the baby could, by falling forward into the water, would get that extra um, support from the water as they glided through the water that speed helps them to float better and to, so they could feel that they were floating. So that was the goal for that exercise, not to be able to do a dive and dive underwater, but it was to be there on the surface. Mm. But all that was lost from 1986, <laughs> 82. <laughs> uh, it was lost and people said, oh yes, well, once you've sit, been sitting there, then you can 
stretch your arms out and make it like a, a dive that we do from the diving block. So it's very quick to change it to the sport swimming yeah, rather than yeah. the survival swimming. So yeah. we have to change our mindset. Yeah, definitely. Mm. There's so many little golden nuggets there. I love, you know, thinking about the history of baby swimming. And as you say, sort of 30 years, you know, where are we now? And we are armed with so much more science, aren't we? Of, you know, the uh, gentle approach and how trauma impacts the brain and how we can really work and be comfortable uh, with our nervous systems. And as you say, working together with our parents. So baby swimming in some parts just needs to catch up a little bit, doesn't it? It needs to catch up and they need to, um, well, I think even swimming teaching in general needs to catch up a bit about with how do we learn, what is the best way to learn to have a comfortable experience? Yeah. Um, because being in water, you're so reliant on being comfortable and relaxed so that you can float better. Yeah. That is the bottom line. If you're stiff and anxious, it's very hard to float. Mm. And you need to float to rest. You can swim, but you need to rest. So, and traumatic experiences will always sit in the body. So we must avoid those. So, I think um, you're right. It's not just the brain remembering, isn't it? It goes down to cellular level. It's a somatic it experience. Down, yes, very deep. And it, it's so easy because babies are programmed. They now have researches. Babies are programmed to imitate what the adults do. But if the adults are blowing bubbles, the baby will do it. If the adults are doing silly things, the baby will do silly things as well as they can. Yes. Uh, the babies want to communicate. They want to talk with their eyes, talk with their actions. They move their head and direct the parent if the parent. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. It's no hocus pocus. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens if you do get an older child or an adult come and they really don't want to put their face in? Have you got any sort of ways of really helping that slow water acclimatization to get more comfortable in the water? Yes, well, you just find out what they're interested in. Uh, they don't have to put their face in the water. It's not necessary. Mm. Um, but actually, when you're not thinking about it, then it, it suddenly happens in an activity. Yeah. Um, for the, most children, singing is one of the best ways. They, even children who don't have much um, verbal language, once we start singing, they will be making noises to the music to the yeah. melody and when the action is maybe to blow a few bubbles or just blow on the water or or splash with the hands um then they will be part of that and as part of that after two or three times their actions become more energetic and uh, they make more waves and they get more water in their face and then yeah. and then there's this um realization that this is part of the game. They have started it. They take responsibility for what has happened. And everyone's laughing. Yeah. yeah. And it just it just goes um, forward from there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's same with parents. I've had parents coming with their babies. And I'm here because I'm afraid of water. I don't want my baby to be afraid of water. Okay. We're going to do lots of blowing bubbles. And we're going to blow balls across the pool. We're going yeah. to be splashing with our hands and at the end of 10 15 lessons both baby and parent are getting their faces nice. lower into the water yeah that sounds so joyful and playful as you say just learning together 
and and for adults the mm. uh, aquanatal groups that I've had they, yeah. there are a lot of exercises where we blow in the water with sort of a long release of breath or short breaths preparation for birth mm. um, and pain control mm. and at the end of 15 lessons um especially one group where none of them could swim I said okay off you go and swim and I felt you know, like a prophet or something, go get up and walk because they laughed at each other. So we can't <laughs> I said, try. And, and they just went across the pool and they were swimming. Wow. Because they just, all these exercises they'd done had created their water awareness. Mm. They controlled their breathing. Yeah. And so they, and they were relaxed and they were laughing. Yeah. It was the most lovely sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I just love soaking up the sound of the swimming pools and the children laughing and the babies making that noise. It's so special, isn't it? It's just it's very special. Yes. Really memories. Yes. Where can we find out more and connect with your beautiful work? Because it's so nice, as you say, uh, I was trying to work out how many years it's been then it must be over 40 years, your aquatic journey. Uh, yes. So, so 1970. Wow. <laughs> I had those little babies, and then in uh, 1981, um, I was still teaching swimming with older children, but 1981, uh -huh. that was when we started with the babies, so. Amazing. Yeah. It's so nice. A real, a real pioneer. But uh, it, it's been a very interesting journey. So what I'm trying, I've done some books in Norwegian. What I'm trying to do is write a book in English. Um, yeah called swimming with granny or maybe bathing with granny i'm not sure but anyway it's for parents yeah it's uh very i want it to be very straightforward and simple and um with some nice pictures so that's what i'm working on at the moment just so that parents can have a bit more background reading and look and look at some pictures and maybe we can do something so that there's be some video links that maybe they can um, at some point they can see well what is it how how can I hold my baby and yeah. how, do they, how you like so all the different ways to hold your baby different parents and different babies um, I think that's uh, a very important thing and uh, people can always contact me on LinkedIn I'm on LinkedIn so make contact there and you can put out my email address oh I will I will yeah I'll pop all the links below because I think it's so nice and you've got so much knowledge and, and uh, experience, as you say, um, through your work, your drowning prevention, your gentle approach for baby swimming. It's a, it's a real delight. I think, I think uh, what has really um, affected me most is my work through the nursery schools and seeing what we can do there and connecting it to the pool. Mm. Yeah. And seeing how uh, and trying to get away from this prescriptive uh, approach to teaching swimming, which still for the older children, I feel sorry for them. They still are subjected to that in many ways. Well, uh, many people now have a much softer approach for baby yeah. and toddlers. Uh, the older children are still suffering under the um, <laughs> do the exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do yeah. the exercise or get out. Yes. Wow. Well. <laughs> It's things like this. I think, as you say, what we're doing is we're offering people awareness, education and saying, well, actually, there is another way. So mm. uh, my thoughts are always feeling to what you're doing. And if it doesn't feel quite right, then know that there's people out there doing things a little bit differently. 
Yes, and that there are a lot of people. I've been. Uh, it's amazing how many people are thinking differently. Mm. Um, but we we just don't always connect. But yeah. and that's why it's so good now and again to have a good connection, like at the conference where we were last year. Yeah, perfect. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I'm sure. And I can't wait for your parent book and all of your information. So that sounds amazing. Yes, I hope I can include a little bit from you, Joe, with your wonderful little baby. Yeah, and definitely. I'd love yeah. to. I'd love to. Yes. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Aqua Sensory Way. It's so nice to have you here tuning in today. Let's connect again soon. I'd love you to find out more about creating sensory harmony in water. Come and join us on our socials and in our community Facebook group, Aqua Sensory Connections.